is about bringing up controversial subjects and a series of quests for strange horrors. It feels good. Guidance is internal. We live on a placid island of ignorance in the midst of black seas of infinity. Do not think there are things in this universe which you cannot understand and which are true. Welcome to Far Off Topic, episode 34. I'm your host, Fiasco Jones, and I am once again writing solo on this episode, which is all good. It's fine. The end of the year, 2020, has has got me thinking about uh, one particular thing. Uh, that happened earlier in the latter half of the of the year that that's still it's still sticking with me it's still resonating with me so i i thought i'd circle back and give my take on this story um because i do actually have a, a little bit of a a part to play In early November of 2020, a crew from the Utah Department of Public Safety were flying over the red rocks of the Utah desert in search of bighorn sheep when one spotted something much more startling. Nestled in a cathedral of red sandstone was a shining metallic object. The sighting was so profound that the crew member who caught sight of it urged the pilot to land the helicopter they were in so he could get a closer look. Upon landing, the full scope of what they had spotted came into view. Okay, the intrepid explorers go down to investigate the uh, alien life form. (laughs) And this is how the Utah monolith was first discovered. An unheralded object intentionally placed in the stark wilderness of the Utah desert, hundreds of miles away from the nearest city, for no one to see. There was no signature and no additional message that could offer any context for why the metallic thing was there at all. Further, it wasn't clear how someone could install the structure into the rock or how it was even made to begin with. It was this incomplete framework of unanswered questions that formed the foundation of a mystery. And of course, mysteries attract curious minds. In the middle of the southern Utah wilderness, it immediately caught the eye of state officers as they passed overhead. I would say it's probably between 10 and 12 feet high. It's just wild. We're kind of joking around that if one of us suddenly disappears, then uh, I guess the rest of us make a run for it, so. The universe is filled with the unexplained, and this journey to southern Utah only raised more questions. As the crew headed home, they only wished they had the answers. Yeah, we've never, that, I have to admit, that, that's been about what, the strangest thing that I've come across out there in all the years of flying. Seeing that report pop into my feeds was a wonderful moment in bizarreness. A lone metal monolith appearing out of nowhere at the tail end of what could easily be described as one of the shittiest years since the invention of social media. It seemed like a sign. It was then that I had an awakening. I needed to go to this monolith. But before I could do that, I needed to know where it was. The government guys who found it weren't disclosing the location, and I knew it would take me way too long uh, to scan Google Earth on my own. So I did what everyone does when confronted with an insurmountable problem. I asked the internet to fix it for me. I went about that by setting up a Reddit sub under the heading Utah Monolith and began posting information, hoping to attract like-minded souls, and it didn't take very long to draw them in. It seemed the monolith had a similar effect on thousands of other people out there. 
all of them equally motivated to know where this thing was. In no time, a user posted the proposition in plain text. Can we find this? With that, people began posting PDFs of the Utah DPS Bighorn Sheep survey reports and helicopter flight data they'd scooped up from some recondite corner of the internet, all so that we could narrow down the search parameters for everyone's solo canvassing of Google Earth. At the time, it seemed like an impossible task. Searching for a 10-foot needle in a 2,000-square-mile sandbox... I went to bed that night after a few hours scanning the boulders, ravines, and canyons, thinking that even with all this help, it would still take a long time before anyone would ever know where this thing was. Less than eight hours later, on the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, the part of the mystery about where the monolith was had been solved. In the live forum of the Utah Monolith Sub, a user by the handle BearFucker had found the object and copied the GPS coordinates to the forum page. I thought there was no way this could be true. But when the latitude and longitude were pasted into Google Earth, the digitized globe began to rotate, then started to slowly descend toward the dry interior of the American Southwest. It sped across the nearby Canyonlands National Park, and straight down into a minuscule crash of red rocks. Nestled altar-like at the center of this natural monument was a single innocuous smudge. It was only when I noticed the sharp arrow of the figure's shadow cutting across the smooth stone floor that I knew for sure that was it. We had rediscovered the monolith. Excitedly, I typed up a post announcing the discovery and naively awaited the cultural transformation that I had convinced myself the monolith would soon herald. I imagined an outpouring of goodwill and appreciation of this strange marvel. I began to imagine a collective effort to get the monolith recognized as a protected landmark. Maybe uh, people would organize annual pilgrimage to this modern curiosity. I was envisioning the details of my own pilgrimage when the news flashed on my socials. People had already arrived at the monolith site. And now, they were standing on it. Oh, fuck. Jim got this picture. First guy to sit on it. First guy to sit on it. Now we've started a, <laughs> we started a trend. <laughs> sit on the monolith. So Mark and Holden were apparently some of the first people to find it. They found the same coordinates that I found online. They were a couple hours away. And here they are. Good job, guys. Is there like a million dollars in it? Or is it uh, no, a cash I mean, reward? We were, we were hoping something a little extraterrestrial, but uh, it wasn't anything like that. You know, it's, it's got some rivets in it. Definitely very human. Man-made. So. <laughs> Still pretty cool to see out here, you know? That's Dave Sparks. I'd never heard of him, but I guess he has a show on Discovery Channel. He was not the first to arrive at the monolith, but he was first to vandalize the sanctity of the project when he posted photos of himself standing on top of it. From that single photo, I could tell that the monolith was doomed. We, we were all doomed. This must have been how Cthulhu felt when those two pieces of shit in the Garden of Eden broke his magic tree. Uh, yeah, 
so, yeah, I had some strong feelings about that. Of course, I calmed down, you know. That was until three days later when I learned that someone had torn the whole thing down. A mysterious monolith that appeared in the Utah desert has disappeared. We humans have a long history of destroying things that disgust our sensibilities. The Sumerians did it, and so did the Egyptians. The Byzantines gave it a name, and Christians made it a best practice. At Palmyra, the Islamic State put some 21st century polish on its execution, and in the fall of 2020, a group of environmentally conscious recreationalists brought their iconoclastic crusade to the site of the monolith. There's four of them. Two of them stand back, two of them walk forward and walk up to the, the monolith and start pushing on a little bit. And then one of them turns to my friends who are a little bit further up the canyon next to it, uh, where I was a little further back, and said, um, hope you got your photos. And then just gave it a couple of big pushes and it like just leaned over. And that's when the rest of them came up and all four of them pushed it over to the one side and then pushed it back to the other side. And it just fell straight onto the ground. In what sounds like short work, the monolith was uprooted and carted noisily away on a wheelbarrow. Who these crusaders of the wilderness were was a mystery in itself, but this being the 15-minute age, within a few short days, the perpetrators came forward and broadcast their post-facto terror video. The safe word is run. <laughs> One of the desert Karens who destroyed the monolith, Sylvan Christensen, later posted to his Instagram a labored rationale for his crew's righteous demolition. We removed the Utah monolith because there are clear precedents for how we share and standardize the use of our public lands. This land wasn't physically prepared for the population shift, especially during the pandemic. People arrived by car, by bus, by van, helicopter, planes, trains, motorcycles, and e-bikes, and there isn't even a parking lot. Each and every user on public land is supposed to be aware of the importance and relevance of this information and the laws associated with them. Because if you did, anyone going out there and filming the monolith and monetizing it without properly permitting the use of the land would know that's an offense too. If that moralizing strikes you as insincere, then shame on you. Sylvan Slack, as Christensen goes by on the internet, is right to point out that we are all responsible for respecting the laws of the desert, even the minutia, that filming a monolith and monetizing without proper permitting is illegal. Think Ophiuchus that such stalwarts are out there protecting our cherished public lands. The rage that followed my reading of Sylvan Slack's sanctimonious message sent me tumbling through unexpected territories. I found myself falling into a meandering sluice of niche adventure sports and peculiar egos, which ultimately led me to the Slack Life. If you're like me, you've gone your whole life thinking that slacklining was just some dumb hippie thing that people do at the park instead of reading books and avoiding other people. If that's what you thought, you'd be wrong, just like me. Though it is still considered fringe, slacklining is attracting new devotees by the day. And it's not just confined to parks or nudged into episodes of The Office for jokes. Now this is called slacklining. Now, these are my actual Outward Bound counselors, Rafe and Feather. Iceman. That's me. 
The powder is for your protection. Feather has permanent athlete's foot. Feather, show them how you dance upon the line of slack. The name Slack Life does give one the impression that the focus of the so-called life is slacklining, but after casual perusal of those stoked deep within the slack, it would appear you can add just about any adventure sport to the melange. Base jumping, rock climbing, mountain biking, you name it. That just happens to be the limit of my knowledge of adventure sports, and I'm just calling them adventure sports because I have no idea. And I'm not going to lie, other than a potential conflict with the Church of the Subgenius, the Slack Life looks to have a very promising future. And learning more about its other high-profile record holders like Spencer Seabrook, Mia Noblet, and Ferdy Kuna, I realized that even though the idiots that destroyed the monolith were part of the Slack Life, they themselves were just lowlifes. To that point, I direct your attention to another one of the monolith attackers. He goes by the nom de guerre, Sketchy Andy. Sketchy has long advocated for a rough and rude ethos of recreational adventurism. From illegal base jumps that got him banned from several international properties and national parks, to making online threats to vocal opponents. Andy, it would seem, has worked very hard to put the sketch in his name. There is one particular act of theatrical egotism that stands out, though, and I think it's germane to the subject of just what it means to protect the public lands and who are its spokespeople. On December 9th, 2016, Andy and a posse of his Moab monkeys, it's not a slur, that's just what they call themselves, they scaled a pillar of rock known as Ancient Arts in the Fisher Towers and covered it in Christmas lights. The climb itself wasn't an outrage, as the site is a widely used climbing spot. But other climbers perceived the decorations and associated litter as a desecration. Sketchy Andy's response to his critics at the time was to say, The only reason why they're complaining about this is because for some reason they're jealous. They think we're having too much fun, baby. The style around being a climber is dying today. Unfortunately, I'm bringing that style back. Unfortunate indeed. The Moab Sun News tracked down a few climbers who didn't much care for Sketchy Andy's style or antics. Victor Calusi, who ventured to the Fisher Towers a few days after the monkeys threw their party, said he found a cardboard box, glitter, and a half-empty bottle of Gatorade on the route. I wasn't put off by the Christmas spirit, but the attitude in the video towards such a valuable and fragile resource was disconcerting. Another climber, Kylie Miller, said, You don't turn spires into Christmas trees. This kind of behavior just promotes a circus mentality and a lack of conservation and land ethics. A sentiment that was echoed by Eve Tolman, who came to Moab in 1981 to climb and has lived in town since 1999. She said the stunt depicted rock climbers as environmentally irresponsible. I personally don't have any dog in the fight over who decorates what or where, but I think it illustrates a point. Sketchy Andy and his monkeys are probably not the best spokespeople for conservation or conscientious land use. They're just like everybody else. The issue is that Andy probably just didn't like strangers playing in his backyard and decided to take their shiny new thing and kick it into someone else's yard. It was a real dick move, and justifying it by puffing up his chest as some sort of high priest of land conservation is transparent. So with that, I send my sincerest contempt to Sketchy Andy and all of his monkeys, and good day. I'll be back after the break. 
terrified tendril lashes out, and the forest comes alive as the redwoods help their scientist friends. The Utah monolith instantly stoked the imaginations of those of us inclined to revel in odd things. But I'd even say to normies, it was simply an innocent and fun distraction from the grinding onslaught of bad news that has become a mainstay of 2020. It was just wild enough to pierce through the malaise and strike at the heart of an abandoned childish whimsy. And that was apparent in the outburst of theories regarding its origin. Sure, to many, it was clearly just an earthbound art installation placed anonymously in the desert, but that didn't stop any of us from indulging in some outside-the-box theories. Topping the list was aliens, of course, because... Aliens are the new zombies. Sorry, zombies. You're out. Bring in the death rays. The alien talk dropped off significantly, though, once people started uploading pictures, and it was obvious the thing was man-made. Second most common theory was that it was merely a movie prop, prank, or guerrilla marketing scheme. The fact that the monolith had been hanging out by itself for years without any fanfare was a big stumbling block for those ideas, though. It just didn't make much sense. But... Nothing really made much sense about a monolith in the desert, which is probably why many of the other theorists felt free to swing for the fences. Going down the list, you have Interstellar Psychic Telephone. It's a good one. Portal, variously to hell, a different galaxy, or another dimension. Remnants of a kinetic bombardment projectile, which is just the trailhead into a deep rabbit hole of fun secret weapons program lore. Another person suggested it could be a time tomb, which I'd never even heard of. I later learned that time tombs are a thing that feature in Dan Simmons' Hyperion book series. It's a daunting follow if you're unfamiliar with his work, but go ahead. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? Lastly, one of my favorite theories is the idea that the monolith was an outcropping or secret doorway into an underground military base. These bases crop up in UFO lore quite frequently. They're known as deep underground military bases, or dumbs. It is just an example of how the monolith mystery is a jumping off point for various unexpected encounters. In a bizarre zag in the story, around the time that the Utah monolith was stolen by Sketchy Andy and his monkeys, new structures began to appear. Well, first it was Utah, then Romania, and now there's a third monolith, this time in California. Now, it's similar to the other one spotted around the world recently. And just like the first, these two were taken away. In the case of the California monolith, a pack of confused Christians recorded their efforts for all to see. We don't want illegal aliens from Mexico or outer space. So let's tear this bitch down, come on. Sure, boys. Christ is king! Christ is king! As quickly as they were removed, more began to pop up, and it seemed that there was a burgeoning movement afoot. I, myself, speculated that the new structures might be part of a coordinated project among affiliated artists. Was this the beginning of a wider monolith mystery? 
Ugh, my heart swooned. That would not be the case. In due time, a different group of nihilistic artists in California took responsibility for the California object. They went on to say that they erected it in a bid to make money off the hype, that and to use it to comment on the vacuous nature of the contemporary art scene or something like that. I, I, I really just started to tune out at this point. This was just another group of people sticking their finger in the eye of dipshits like me who wanted to believe in something stranger. Something, I don't know, less human. When a monolith appeared underneath the canopy of the Fremont experience here in Las Vegas, I knew the phenomenon had jumped the shark. It had just become another one of those things that people do for quick attention. The moment was over. Of course, when the hype had settled and the news cameras and Instagrammers had turned their attention to their next trend, I realized something. Many of the original questions surrounding the Utah monolith remained. The object was gone, but the mystery was still alive. Who created it? Why? Why was it placed in the desert to begin with? But for once, I had no interest in finding out the answers. Thousands of people walk by it every day, but only very few notice it. Those who have are wondering whether the red and blue square on the pavement is a cryptic message that holds the key to an ancient mystery. In the 80s, a series of weird tiles began popping up all across Philadelphia. Few people cared much about them at first, but the enigmatic message carved into the tiles eventually sparked a devoted group to investigate their origins. That message on the tiles read as follows. Toyin B idea in movie 2001, Resurrect Dead on planet Jupiter. These bizarre plaques took on the moniker Toynbee Tiles and became part of the tapestry of contemporary bizarrest lore. The tiles were one part outsider art and one part crazed attempt to wake up the world to hidden truth. What drove the mystery beyond its cryptic message was that no one knew who made the tiles or how this person was able to place them, not just in Philadelphia, but in several cities across the US and South America. In 2011, a documentary titled Resurrect Dead followed three men who had become obsessed with the Toynbee Tiles on their quest to find answers of who was behind the mystery. With a lot of effort, the crew were able to track down and identify the mystery Tyler. At least that's what we're led to believe. In an interesting takeaway near the end of the film, one of the investigators is on his way home when he recognizes that he's on the same bus as the suspected Tyler. He wants very much to say something to the man, but can't bring himself to do it. It's a mixture of not wanting to scare him and also a way of preserving at least one mystery. To allow one question to remain hanging in the ether of uncertainty, something left just out of reach to marvel at and leave alone. Aside from some aesthetic similarities between the Toynbee tile phenomenon and the Utah monolith, I don't think there is much else that connects them, but if I let my mind wander, I can begin to see connections. And it's this utility of the monolith phenomenon that I find most fun, and maybe even beneficial. I would say that in this instance, it's true. It's better not to know. The open-ended questions are the things that allow wonder to seep back into the mundane, terror-soaked world of random bombings systemic injustice, and global pandemics. Keep asking questions, but don't worry about the answers. 
at least in matters of monoliths and their adherent mysteries. The most authentic American pastime has always been finding out who is to blame. So who should we blame for the monolith's untimely demise? It would seem everyone. Our culture, the ravenous, blind Instagrammers hopping from one 15-minute spotlight to the next, to the big, dumb idiots that want to stand on top of every little thing to make themselves feel taller. Blame the Moab monkeys and their holier-than-thou application of public land use. Or blame me, because I couldn't leave well enough alone to let the mystery be. I needed answers. I dreamt that I might visit the monolith myself one day, and I was too lazy to search on my own. So I asked the internet. Sure, if I hadn't, someone else would have, but I actually did it, and now the thing is gone. It would appear that the one thing the monolith was very good at answering is that we're all just too rotten to have nice things. Or maybe not. The Utah monolith is still standing, says three of the four men who went public about taking it down. The Utah monolith is not gone and it's not the end of the story. It would appear that after being bombarded by the kinetic impact of negative attention, Sketchy Andy and his monkeys decided to tack a different course. They say they rebuilt the monolith and donated it to the BLM on good faith just this last Friday to help in the investigation. And that's kind of the discussion. It's ultimately up to the, uh, the BLM as to where they put it, but that's that was kind of the, the gentleman's agreement is that it would get put at Red Butte Garden. I would say this is an optimistic turn in a story that was trending very much in the opposite direction. The monolith may have a second life after all, someplace more established. This may dull its mystery to some degree, but it's also a positive gesture toward better things. And it should give us all a little something to hope for in the days to come. With that, I hope everyone had a happy holiday and a wonderful new year. The gang will be back next episode. Until then, from all of us here at Far Off Topic, live your mysteries, and so mote it be.